Oh, how He loves us. Amen, church? How I want to make you aware of how God works in our midst while you find the Word in Exodus chapter 5. In recent weeks, one of our church family, single mom and her children, were blessed through the process of Habitat for Humanity, going through personal process and other kinds of things that that journey takes, to now be blessed with a Habitat home. And would you say amen? Amen. But the process involved the partnership of our church financially and by way of volunteers to help do things that were necessary to reduce the cost to the family. And some of the men of our church and women and others who volunteered took leadership, one of which I mentioned the first service and he was in the first service, Bob Collier, took leadership along with uh, our brother Ron Barnett and Steve uh, and then Jeff 70, I want to say Steve, Jeff. And Jeff may be in this service. Are you here, Jeff? I don't see him in this service. And Ron, you are here. Would you raise your hand, Ron? This is uh, Ron on yesterday went on behalf of the church and offered the, the dedication, prayer, and invocation for that house that your giving and the work of men like Ron and Jeff and Bob and others. Because see, it's more than just saying that God blesses. It's one thing we can say we're going to do, but it's actually doing and so another family is blessed. They have a house, a roof over their head, place to call home. Because we are never more like Jesus than when we become His hands extended. So my thanks to Ron, to Jeff, to Bob and all the others for being a part of this blessing and for you, for the giving that you've done. Let, let me also express to you this coming, not this coming, but Wednesday week, which will be August the 4th, as a follow-up to the revival we are offering the opportunity for water baptism. Please, if you've been born again, rededicate your life to Christ. If you've been some distance removed from your first baptism, and during that distance of time and experiences got away from God, and now you've come back to Him, you should be rebaptized. Do your first works over. And then some might have done it in their childhood, and it may not have meant as much as it would now, and you want to redo that. But only because your baptism indicates your obedience. Can I get an amen? Jesus said, repent and be baptized. Your baptism indicates your public profession of a personal decision to know Jesus. So if you'll sign up at the atrium, we're about two weeks away, on a Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock, here in the sanctuary, bring your family and friends and other witnesses to celebrate we're going to have a water baptism service. But if you put your name and, and information there, we'll send you other things that you might need to know about how to dress and how to come. Is that okay? One more other item. A few weeks ago, I concluded a series of sermons that I didn't know was going to be a series. On the life of David, man after God's own heart. The media department has prepared all six of them for your further resourcing in your family. Facing your giants, slaying the giants in the wilderness. When God and our expectations don't meet. Ever had those times? Lessons for fathers. Father's Day message. And others. We do that only because the word is what changes you. Amen. And so you're looking at the word with me. Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 23. I like to look at the whole chapter, but I won't read it all. Verse 22, we're starting I'll read this now and then we'll go back and explain in a moment. Verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, 
He has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Sound like a frustrated man, doesn't it? Out of this chapter and this thought, I want to talk about this. Living in the in-between. In between the time you sent me to do a job and the job got done, something's going on. And right now I'm frustrated. And I want you to help me to know how to live in the in-between. Shut your hands in this direction. Pray for me, would you? Would you do me that honor? Father, oh, I know you love me and I want to love you more. I know you have other vessels better than I am. I know you have other vessels more competent, more articulate. But that you chose me, I'm happy, God. I'm just happy and honored to be standing before your people. But I know my limitations, and I know my ego, and I know my vanity. So I, I rebuke all these things, oh God. And I pray that I would not gauge your anointing, oh God, on the flesh. Somebody say amen. I pray the people here won't gauge the anointing on the flesh. But I pray that we have gauged the anointing on the demonstration of God in our lives and in our families and in our situations. God, this is the last Sunday of the month of July and we are in your house. And I pray, oh God, that you'd breathe on us again. I know that, Lord, we have schedules, agenda, family, different things. I know we might be in a greater hurry than you might want us to be in order to bless us. So calm us down and yet fill us up. And let your word, oh God, be life and light and power. Do your work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Could you say amen? And amen. Thank you for being seated. In my personal scripture devotion and prayer, I come across this reading this week. And here it is in the middle of the revival. And the Holy Spirit began to breathe into my heart what I should bring to you on the heels of this revival. When I think about living in the in-between, I ask myself the question... What does it mean to be in the in-between? And some thoughts, some examples come to my mind that I think may be relevant. I hope they are. To be living in the in-between can mean this. In between the time you unexpectedly lose your job, which you didn't think you were going to lose, but you did. In between the time you lose your, lost your job and you are gainfully employed. That may be a short time or a long time, but it's some living in between. In between may mean the time he or she says to you. After years of marriage and years of faithfulness, you being married and faithful, he or she says to you, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving and I want a divorce. The in between of the time... Where you thought all was well in the marriage and they say, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Until the time where all that's fleshed out and you have to seek for healing and recovery. In the in-between can mean the time the doctor says, I'm afraid I have some bad news for you, sir or ma'am. Until the time that you recover and are healed. Some of you are there. For others of you, you are in between that time that God told you he was going to give you the miracle that you're asking for, but it hadn't come yet. And so you are in the in-between of awaiting an answered prayer. In between the time that you get betrayed or dumped 
in a relationship that you thought was solid and guarded until the time you find true love. Some of you might be there. And others of you might be in the in-between when you think about the fact that you now face the death of a loved one or recently faced the death of a loved one and your world falls apart in pain and mourning until the time you find peace and comfort again. Such is the case of our beloved Betty Todd who on Friday morning, her husband of almost 55 years went to be with the Lord. She is now in the in-between of the time and Mike, of course, your father and it's good to see you here and That's, of course, Brother Phil I'm speaking about. Mike is in that in-between time where, God, who's going to replace this person? To, how can I ever feel whole again till I see them in glory? The in-between time is the time that God makes you a promise until the time he fulfills it. Can somebody say amen? The in-between time is the time that you pray for the salvation of a loved one, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, or somebody that you care about. And you pray for them and the time to actually come to know the Lord Jesus. My question for us is, what is it like living in the in-between and what lessons can we learn? If the truth be known this morning, many of us or most of us are living right now in the in-between. As a matter of fact, all of us are living right now in the in-between. I'll explain. Right now, we are living in between the day we were born and the day we're going to die. Give me an amen by faith. Right now, we are living in between the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung and died there and took our place for our penalty. In between that time and the time after he resurrected and said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and see you unto myself. In between that time, some will go ahead of us in death and others and all of us may go in what is known as the rapture. But we are in the in-between. Give me another amen. All of us are living in the in-between, the time of hell and heaven. And the choices we make in the in-between determines where we go. All of us are in the in-between of the time of pending judgment if we reject God or pending reward if we accept Jesus. Can I get another amen? We are in between then the time of eternal life where we are forever with the Lord or eternal damnation. And there are some living that needs to take place there. So here's, here's where I'm headed. As I search the Word of God, and I feel the impartation of the Spirit, there's some thoughts that come to my mind from the Spirit that I need to release to you about living in the in-between. Number one, for example, I have discovered that things may get worse before they get better when you live in the in-between. Go ahead and say, Amen, oh ouch. But either way, it's true. That's what's going on in the text that you have, as your Bibles are still open, I hope, to Exodus 5. That's what's going on with Moses. Because Moses, prior to going to Pharaoh and speaking to him on behalf of his fellow Hebrews in captivity, was minding his own business as a shepherd in the desert. For 40 years, he was a shepherd over his father-in-law's flock. And on one particular very rare occasion, God appeared to Moses while in the desert through a burning bush. Now, I don't want to talk down to you and acting like you don't know this account, but at the same time, I don't want to presume you know something that might help you. So here we go. It was not 
unusual that a bush would ignite in the desert heat in Moses' geographical area. Sometimes the intensity of the sun reflecting off the sand in the desert was known to ignite dry, dying bushes so much so that there would be a fire and the fire would consume the entire bush until it perished. On this rare occasion, a bush caught on fire in Moses' presence, but it wasn't a drying up, dying bush. It was a bush that was more green, now on fire, and kept burning and not being consumed. And as Moses draws nearer to behold this more rare, rare sight, there's a voice that thunders from around him and above him that says, Moses, the place you're standing is holy ground. Take off your shoes. So he takes off his shoes in this awe of this spectacular thing where this bush is not being consumed by this fire. And God speaks to him in this very reverential moment and says, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt. They have been in captivity there for 430 years. They started off as guests in the house of Pharaoh when Joseph first went there. But over the 430 years, time elapsed and the favor was lost with the Pharaoh. Over that time, other Pharaohs came on the scene. Others expired. Others, and the people of Israel found themselves as slave construction workers under the present Pharaoh. Many historians tell us that they believe that the Hebrew slaves were partly or totally responsible for building the Egyptian pyramids and the ruins that we now see today. Massive structures. You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hands. You've, you've seen them probably on National Geographic and some of you have traveled there. These tombs where now uh, kings and prince and other people of royalty have been entombed for hundreds of years and their bodies mummified and much of their precious jewels and, and other kinds of uh, precious goods were buried with them. It is believed that during the time of the Hebrew captivity in Egypt that the Hebrews were used in this kind of labor. And God says to Moses, I want you now to leave where you are as a shepherd, and I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him that I told you to let my people go. That's where we are. Okay? Look at verse number 1 in chapter 5. I don't have it on the screen because I want you to see in your own Bibles too. Are you there? Chapter 5 of Exodus verse 1. Say amen. Listen to what it says. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron, this is Moses' brother, Aaron, went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Further, verse 3. So they said to Pharaoh, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence over the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their labor? Get back to your labor. Still with me, everybody? Verse 5. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. 
So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. For they are idle. Therefore they crowd, saying, let us go and sacrifice to God. Verse 9, let more work be laid on the men, and they labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Now, now look here, okay? What you have is a man doing what God tells him to do. And he has already, before coming to Pharaoh, he and Aaron, his brother, they went by the ghetto of Egypt where the Hebrews were living in the slums. And they told them, pray for us, because we are going to go to Pharaoh, God sent us. And God gave me this staff and did wonders through it. God did some wonders through me when he called me. I put my hand in my inner garment when I was called by God to make sure I was called. And when I put my hand and took it back out, Moses told the people, my hand was leprous all the way, my fingers all the way through my elbow. And then when I took it back and put it back in my inner garment and pulled it back out, my hand was completely whole. And God says, that's another sign that I've called you. Can somebody say amen? And the people after four, you know, when you've been 430 years, not, not all of them lived that long, but when you had a genealogies and generations of slavery, it's good for somebody to come along and give you some hope. Can I get an amen? Not only that, but they saw some miracles and they said, okay, Moses and Aaron, your brother, you go to Pharaoh. We're going to be here in the ghetto and we're going to be praying for you. And we believe that God's with you and you'll tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Let all of us go and we'll load up our carts. We'll load up our family. We'll load up whatever slum possession we have. We don't have a lot. But whatever trash or garbage in the eyes of Pharaoh we have, we're going to take it because you, you told us God sent you. Well, he goes there. And you know what happens? He goes there and Pharaoh says, so you all got time on your hand, you Hebrews. You're supposed to be building these pyramids and these palaces and these mansions. And now you come to me and tell me. That you all want to travel three days and take all these people out in the desert and worship your God. You must have a lot of time on your hands. So therefore, we Egyptians are not going to gather straw for you like we did before for you to make bricks and build these buildings. You're going to have to go get your own straw, make your own bricks and keep your same quota. And if you don't do it, we are going to beat you and punish you and persecute you with greater intensity than you have now. Oh, my, 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 my. Thank God I wasn't Moses then. Can you, can somebody say amen? You know, and here's Moses. He's feeling just like I'm feeling. Has God ever put you in an awkward position? Has that God ever told you to do something or go to somebody and, 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 or, 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 or minister in some kind of way? And when you went to say it in the name of the Lord or do it in the name of the Lord or give it in the name of the Lord, next thing you found out you were insulted and abused and otherwise feelings hurt. And you're thinking, God, why did you send me there? Some, somebody help me by saying, Amen. I mean, here's what happens. All of a sudden, they have to work harder and more passionately and make a greater quota. And even the Hebrews now, Pharaoh tells Moses, who is your God that I should listen? And who are you that I should listen to you? And now the Hebrews are saying, oh, I see. Now you told us you are leaders. Now we can't even stand you because Pharaoh can't stand us. And you all might as well get that from our sight. That's the way the devil works when you're living in the in-between. 
when, when you are, some of you ladies, and praying for the salvation of your husband for quite some time. You come to church with the children. You dress them. You come to church. You're the spiritual leader of the house. And, and you tithe and give from your little offering because he hasn't yet come on that belief yet. And the more you pray for your husband, the more you pray for his salvation, the more you pray for him to be the priest of your house, it seems like, or not only seem, but sometimes it really is, he gets meaner. He gets more verbally abusive. He gets to talking against your God and against your faith. And the thing just go from bad to worse. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And that's living in the in-between. You're praying for your teenage child. You're saying, God, don't let them hang around the wrong crowd at school. Because the wrong crowd may influence them into a life of crime or drugs or promiscuous sex. Am I right, church? You're praying for your teenager. Say, God, I don't want them to experiment with drugs and alcohol. I don't want them to cuss and be vulgar. I want them to say, yes, ma'am, to those who are over them in authority. Yes, sir. Can I get an amen? I want them to respect the judge, the preacher, the police officers. Can I get an amen? Boy, I'm telling you, raising teenagers these days, maybe Mark Twain had the solution. Mark Twain says, raising teenagers can be so difficult, but he's got a plan. What your parents should do when they turn 12 on the board of turning 13... Is get you a 55-gallon wooden drum with one hole in it. You have a little stop in a cork in there. When they turn 13, put your teenager in that barrel and feed them through the little hole in the cork. And when they turn 20, let them out the barrel. And that's how you raise teenagers. You're saying amen because you wish you had thought about it, but you know it ain't going to work because you are a teenager too. And man, the, the more you pray for your teenager, the more they listen to hedonistic music. Their, their heroes become rock stars and, and, uh, and musicians that look like the devil himself. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and preach this. I, you know, I, this is my home turf, okay? I'm not Ziegler and I'm not Tim Hill. I'm just, I, I know my people, so I'm just going to preach, okay? Huh? You know, the more you pray for the teenager, now they want to pierce their ear, they want to pierce, pierce their tongue, they want to tattoo their every place else, and you're thinking, oh God, you know, that, that ain't what I have in mind. I know this is tomato season, but I got me a big pulpit and I can duck. Yeah. The Holy Ghost tells you it's time for you to come up high. In the in-between. Now it's time for you to give your tithe and offerings. I've blessed you all this time. I've given you a better job. I've given you marriage. I give you health. I give you salvation. And just like Reverend Ziegler told us last Sunday morning, if you got one dollar, God says ten percent is mine. And God, and Reverend Ziegler told us that if we don't give 10 cents to God out of every dollar, we're telling God He don't even worth a dime. And isn't that, isn't that what it is? So we get a hold of that and we say, God, you know, I wouldn't even have a job. I wouldn't even have a car to drive or a house to live in or clothes to wear or groceries in my cupboard, God. I'm not the richest person just yet, but I understand that everything I got, you gave me. And I'm not the owner. You are the owner. I'm just a steward. Anytime you want, you can take it from me. So I am going to write the check and I'm going to give the tithe and offering just like the Lord taught me in the Word. Because i got to plant a seed in order to get a harvest. And no sooner you start doing that. In the in-between of trusting God, then the air condition breaks down. Oh, yes. And the tire goes flat in the car. And not only that, but something medically goes wrong. And, and the devil shows up in the in-between of the time God says to tithe and give until the time your harvest comes in and he says, there ain't nothing to this, just quit and give up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm simply saying to you this morning that we are on a journey in between our salvation experience and our home in heaven. 
Somebody say amen. Ours, our journey may include getting at one destination at a time, but we are not to camp out at every destination indefinitely. One day we are going to move into streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl and a mansion outside of the river of life. So what we got to understand is that while we are in the in-between from earth to glory, sometimes the fire is going to get hotter and the water is going to rise high, but I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, God has never left His children without a solution. God has never left His children without a word and a power and His glory to bring us through. Moses is complaining. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Exodus 6 and 1. Moses is complaining. He's about to quit. Look what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. Did God do it, somebody? Can I get an amen? Pharaoh told Moses, I don't know your God, and I don't know you. Get back to work. Little did Pharaoh know, as Moses stayed faithful, little did he know that there were ten plagues on the way. Ten miraculous signs from God that would diminish the power of the pagan Egyptian God and would heighten the power of Jehovah God, the God of the slaves and the God of the kings. Can somebody say amen? I'm telling you this morning that please understand Satan's trick is to get you into worse situations temporarily. To keep you from the glory on the way. God will help your marriage. And if that marriage goes away because of the choice of that other person who will not listen to God, God will take you to a better day. Oh, help me somebody. Man, it seems like the more prayer lines you get to for your health, the devil shows up and the worse your symptoms become. Because the devil wants to distract you with your flesh and a sad song and a bad report. But if all you can do is raise half a level of praise, raise it anyhow. If all you can do is read only one chapter instead of two, read it anyhow. Somebody say amen. If all you can do is worship just a little bit, that's enough for the fire of God to start in your soul. And what is worse, God will turn around and fan it with His anointing. And next thing you know, you are on the other side of the Red Sea on dry land watching. Pharaoh's army drown because God has a plan for bringing us out of the in-between. Come on, give him a hand clap, somebody. When my father got saved, he was a devout Hindu at age 17. He grew up in a Hindu home. All he knew was Hinduism. And they were devout to the degree that they worshipped images and idols depicting what a Hindu God might look like. On an evening after going to the cinema at a picture show, coming back home one evening at age 17, he heard a gospel preacher preaching, a street preacher, on the side of the street, about this Jesus. God, by His power preparation, 
began to tweak something in my father's curiosity about Jesus. You see, in the Hindu culture, as devout as my father was, on many occasions, early in the morning, the family would get up, and one of the family members, as the sun rises, would take a tray of rice, uncooked rice, and as one form of their worship, they would stand on one foot and the other knee bent up with a tray of rice as the sun rises, chanting a Hindu prayer and sifting the rice to their God. On another occasion, if Hindus devout would see their Hindu priest coming out as they were walking down the street or in the marketplace, and the Hindu priest would dress in a particular attire and indicated who he was. A devout Hindu would go to the priest in, in pursuit of his blessing and bow at his foot in the public open square, even if he's devout enough to even kiss his foot. And then the priest would put his hand on the, on the worshiper's head and pronounce a blessing. On other occasions, when, when you wanted to have a blessing over your home or something going on in your life, you'd invite the priest to have a, a, a service in your, in your house. And he would come, and, and if you have brazen idols made out of brass... Some of the idols were made out of brass and it would have the body of a human but the head of an elephant or a lion or a monkey. And it would be a lot of arms and appendages. You've seen some of these photos of Hinduism and how there's a lot of arms. And there's all, the Hindus worship hundreds and hundreds of gods. They worship the cow. They worship the sun. They worship the star. They worship the moon. They worship the river. They worship all kinds of gods. And a devotee would do that. When the priest would come home he, to your house to have a prayer, he would take that idol about this big, put it in a metal tray, and then he would pour milk over the idol's head, let it run down the idol. And then you're supposed to get the milk out of the tray and drink it and it would give you a kind of a blessing oh kind and you would pray in different kinds of ways and languages that that their prayers and their incantations were supposed to get the favor of god i remember growing up in in trinidad i went to a hindu school it was a public school but the government allowed you to have your access to your religion they would subsidize the school and I remember every morning when we go to school, before we even go to class, we would stand out in a large public area, lined up, rows of children. We all had to wear uniforms. They still wear uniforms there now. And we'd put our hands together and we'd pray a Hindu prayer in the Hindi language. The prayer I remember the most goes like this. Om Dao Shanti, Ratarisha Dam Shanti, Pritari Shanti, Asha Shanti, Shanti being the name of one of their gods, and on and on to Shanti. And I'm 53 years old, and I still don't have a clue what I was saying. <laughs> shanti this and Shanti that. And I, oh my, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world have I just said? My father, on the way home from a theater show that night, heard a preacher, and he said to the preacher after, he said, can you tell me more about this Jesus? And the preacher told him the next day when he had a chance to visit with him, with this Jesus Christ, you don't have to sift rice out to the sun. You don't have to pour milk over an idol and drink it to get a blessing. You don't have to kiss the feet of a priest. You don't have to worship a, a cow. You don't have to worship any kind of animal. It's only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He died for your sins. You don't have to pay your way, earn your way, or kiss your way of somebody else's person. But if you believe on Him, He'll save you. My dad is 80 years old. He's preaching the gospel right now in Greenville, South Carolina because in the in-between of his lostness, God found him and gave him a better way. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. 
Right after dad got saved, his mother and father and immediate family kicked him out of the house. I mean, they put him out. There was no, they said, listen, you either serve our Hindu God, but this Christian God and this Jesus God, we have nothing to do with. You will not live in this house, you will not sit at our table, and you'll not be under our roof. And therefore, he was kicked out. Some of us think we suffer when we get saved. The only person that would take him in was his oldest brother, who at that time was married. And because his oldest brother's wife, his sister-in-law, my father's sister-in-law, resisted the idea of my father living with them, yet knowing that that was his brother, meaning her husband was my father's brother, they built a lean-to shed to their house and let him live in the lean-to shed, not in the same house. And for two years, she... Because she cooked the family meal and because she wanted to keep her marriage strong, she resisted my father. But for two years, she'd fix his plate and slide it under the door of his lean-to shed to feed him. But for those two years, God began to use my dad. And beyond that, he started preaching the gospel. God called him to preach. And he finished high school. And then he started preaching on the street corners. And the crowd started coming. God started healing people. It started moving. He and two other friends got saved. They're, all of them still alive today and still preaching the gospel. Listen to me. They got saved. They went from place to place and town for town. And they just began to read the Bible and pray for the sick. And folks began to get healed. Miracles began to happen. Oh, somebody hear me. Let me tell you something. The Bible says about this thing from going from bad to worse. When mother and father forsake you, the Lord will take you up. I wish somebody give the Lord a hand clap of thanks. Yeah. I'm trying to say to somebody here, don't backslide in the in-between because a storm blows in. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Don't curse God and curse everybody else because God didn't work according to your calendar or your time clock. Somebody say amen. amen. Paul says these light and momentary afflictions, while you wait on your miracle, these light afflictions cannot be compared with the glory that's coming your way if you'll just be faithful anyhow. Come on, give the Lord some thanks. You like getting the paycheck at the end of the week, so you go to work whether you feel like it or not. You didn't hear me. Wake up your neighbor. Yeah. You, and sometimes you just do what we know is right, even though we don't feel it. Now, let me show you something else about living in the in-between. I've got to hurry. Living in the in-between, I have discovered that God is often silent there. I have put in some prayer requests to God via the internet, via the prayer box, via the men's prayer group, via the prayer tower. I have... And I have talked to God about some things in my life that needed to be helped by Him. And some people who were in my life that He needed to deal with. And I tell you, He don't even talk back. You ever, you ever found sometimes in this in-between of you waiting for your healing for your body, you fasted and you prayed and you gave and you worshipped and you were charitable. And God says, still it's four o'clock in the morning. Sometimes God is silent in the in-between. You know what I found out about God's silence? In my experience and in the Bible, and I've said this from this pulpit before, but the Holy Spirit wants me to say it again. Sometimes God does His greatest work for us when it seems He is silent. You go ahead and say amen by faith. You see, that's what Calvary is about. 
It's God's doing his greatest work for us. Even though he appeared to be silent. Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus if he ever needed friends. It was on the night of his betrayal and his arrest. If Jesus ever needed some intercessors to pray for him. Was in the night that he was praying before his arrest in the garden on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And his disciples falling asleep on him. Three different times in that garden, Jesus said to the Father, If it be your will, take this cup of suffering that, is, that I'm headed to the cross from me. I know what it means. See, Jesus didn't come the first time he came to build a palace, get a throne, have a crown and a scepter and an entourage of people heralding. No. He came to be the Lamb of God. The sacrificial Lamb of God. He would become the sacrifice for our sins. He would take all of our sins at one time. And the punishment for it. And he knew what that meant. He knew it meant that he would be beaten. He would be cursed, spat upon, lacerated, humiliated, hang on a wooden cross, take the curse. The Bible says cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He would take the weight of all of and he And doing all that knowing there's no sin in him. Doing all that, knowing that any time he wanted to, he could snap his finger and 10,000 angels could come. Oh, he wouldn't need 10,000. He'd just need one. Matter of fact, he wouldn't even need one. He'd just say, be gone. Knowing all that ahead of him in the next few hours, next two or three days, he says, God, is there another way that we could save the world than me dying? And that's just humanity. Can I get a witness here, somebody? And you had some afflictions in your life and you said, Lord... I think I've had all I can have now. Give some to Pastor Jeff. Well, I mean, you might not have said that way, but you saw somebody else doing good and you thought, you know, God, can't you, do another, can't you redeem people another way? God said nothing. And I don't need to re-preach all this. You know what I'm saying. When he was hung on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha, as Brother Kevin Wallace taught us on Wednesday night, you remember... That the sun went dark for three hours. It was midday when they nailed him and hung him. But the sun, all of nature, it seemed like even though humanity didn't realize what they were losing and who they were crucifying, all of creation realized that this is God on the cross. Can I get an amen? I mean, all of creation was mourning and groaning that this mighty creator Jesus humbled himself to become a slave. And the sun refused to shine. There was an earthquake under the cross. The veil of the temple was torn in two in the temple, indicating we have access to God because of Jesus' death. And the final words of Jesus, some of the final words of Jesus was, was the Hebrew words, Eloi! Eloi! Lama sabachthani! Which is interpreted, My God! My God! Why hast thou forsaken me? I think he meant, why are you so silent? Can I get a witness here? 
if I ever needed somebody, all my disciples have run. They're covering their own skin. <laughs> With friends like that, you don't need enemies, do you? And if God would have interrupted Calvary, all of us would be going straight to hell today. Somebody say amen. I'm just telling you, God was doing his greatest work for Alan, for Lewis, for Jeff, for Sybil, for Sylvia. Somebody help me here. God was doing his greatest work for your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife. When he didn't say a word, he was silent. Sometimes silence is golden. Sometimes by our continual talking and complaining and belly aching and grappling, we talk ourselves out of the miracle. The word of God says, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes I've asked God every possible way to pray a, a thing. And God, I've prayed in English. I've prayed in tongues. I've prayed in moaning and groaning. I've, I've all, and God hadn't done it yet. But he says, be still and know that I am God. I haven't gone on vacation. I'm not hearing impaired. I'm not so far away that my hand can't reach you. And I'm not so, oh, somebody help me that my voice can't hear you. But I'm working something in your life. I'm working something in your faith. And when I come through and I bring you through the fire you shall be as pure as gold somebody give a Lord a hand clap of praise here yeah silence sometimes God is silent and what he's saying don't backslide don't quit going to church don't quit giving your tithe and offerings don't quit sharing your faith I'm with you I'm for you but I'm working I'm working on your behalf to make you better and not bitter and the last point the last point I have seven points and I didn't get right here so I'll stop here in a moment I found that living in the in-between that God may be allowing the in-between time. Whatever experience you're going through right now in a place of the in-between that may be uncomfortable, God may be allowing it. Why do, you, why do you make that summation, Pastor? Because nothing happens to you or me without God's knowledge. Go ahead. Help, help me. Go ahead and help me praise the Lord. I'm hurrying. Oh, I feel a... I feel a... I feel a... Glory. <laughs> I have found out that sometimes while I'm preaching, everybody not with me, I just have to encourage myself in the Lord. <laughs> some of you are thinking right now, Golden Corral or Charlie's or some Chinese place. Get your eye on this Indian for a moment. I got some bread for you. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, I love all of you now, but don't come here telling me what T.G. T.D. Jakes preached and what Rod Parsley preached and what Joel Osteen preached when I'm giving you this good bread right now. Kind of cocky, ain't he? No, he's just anointed. That's all he is, just anointed. If God knows the number of hair on our head, he doesn't have an issue with me, does he? But if he does, I looked at Brother Phil Todd in that casket last night. Your, your, your father, Mike, and I love the words you choose, y'all choose. May, may my works speak for itself. I, I paraphrase that. But, but Phil, 92 years old next birthday, wouldn't he be? In that casket. And, uh, wow. See, this man, this man, Phil, preached in the prisons for 35 years. For 35 years in Coweta County, other places, 
early in the morning while we're still in bed, he would go to prison after prison and preach. This man, Phil Todd, that I'm talking about right now, he, uh, he would go get groceries every week in his pickup truck from grocery stores that couldn't sell the products. They were still usable. They were not yet perishable, but they couldn't sell them because of, and give them to hungry people or needs. He, he would do that. Th- this same man, Phil Todd, I'm talking about, you know, this world claps and applauds and put accolades on people uh, based on the world's value system of what is a prince and a king and a hero and a superstar. But God's criteria for prince and king and hero and superstar doesn't go with Hollywood's value or the talk show value. <laughs> it goes along with those who are obedient to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, oh, listen to me. I, I, I'm going to preach Phil's funeral right here before I preach it at 3 o'clock, okay? The Bible says, oh, pure religion and undefiled is to visit the widows and the orphans and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Somebody hear me. I looked at his casket, looked at him last night, and all his hair is on his head. Ninety-two years old now. I'm selfishly thinking, what about me, God? And I didn't think that in a bad way. If God knows Phil Todd, 92 years, he knows your little grandbaby who may be 92 days old. If God knows all that he knows about us, doesn't he know that you are in between something right now? And you need, and you need a way? Can I get an amen here? I'm simply trying to, and I'm going to wrap it up here if I can. I'm trying to tell you that God sent Joseph down to Egypt 430 years earlier, before the Exodus, because... God had a bigger and better plan than Joseph could. Listen, you know the story of Joseph. You know it about age 17 because his jealous brothers didn't like his father's affection to him. At age 17, when God gave him dreams, dreams of one day he being a ruler or man of prominence and position and power, and those dreams indicated that one day even his brothers and father, his older brothers and father would bow down to him. That angered his brothers because in Hebrew culture then and maybe now, the senior brothers led and the younger brothers bowed down. Can I get a witness? From the time Joseph got a dream that he's going to be a leader and in prominence shared it with his brother... To the time the dream came to pass, it was about 13 years in between. But say in between. And you ask Joseph, did it go from bad to worse? Did you pray Joseph and God didn't talk? He'll tell you yes. He'll tell you, I went to serve in Potiphar's household as a slave doing what I can. And God blessed me as a slave and I got to be the highest slave in power and when my master went away for a little trip his wife tried to seduce me to have sex with her in the absence of my master and I ran from her 
And next thing you know, she cried attempted rape and I'm in jail. Bad to worse. I'm in jail for some time now and I'm still, I'm, I'm now the best prisoner. Been in there a while. I love God. I serve God. I'm still thinking what happened to the dream, but I pray. I have my devotion. I do right in jail. Now I become the warden of the jail. I interpret a couple more dreams and I say to the people whose dreams I interpret, when you get to your place of fulfillment of your dreams, the one that survived, tell the Pharaoh, get me out of here. They forget him. Another two years he's in there. Did it go for, is God silent? Does it get worse? Can I get an amen here? Okay. And on and on it goes for him. Until 13 years. And then the famine in the land. You know what's going on. Famine all over the place. All over the known world at that time. And his brothers and family show up. And he has on this Egyptian garb. He has on the Egyptian uh, hairpiece. He speaks the Egyptian language. And his brothers don't even recognize him. But all the time, God's allowing it. Because when he finally reveals himself, his brothers think, my God, he's going to kill us. This is the same Joseph we sold into slavery. We told our daddy, a wild animal kill him. And our daddy moaned and groaned and almost died grieving over that boy. And now we done him so nasty, he's going to have these other Egyptian guards take their spear or their sword and, and behead us with their sword. But Joseph understood the in-between time. And he said to them, what you meant for evil, God sent me down to Egypt. Because you'd need bread and you'd need livestock and you'd need grain. And what you meant for evil, in the in-between, God raised me up. I went down a little bit, but the next time I came, I came high. I went down a little bit more, the next time I came, I came high. And now I'm the prime minister of the whole place. And I own the grocery stores. And I own the bakery. And I own everything. And so come on in, boys. Because God's got a plan and He knows what He's doing. Somebody praise Him. Stand up. Stand up if you will. Come on. Come on. When you stand again, give another ten seconds of praise with me. Do it. Do it. Come on. I praise you, Jesus. Oh. Blessed is the preacher that knows when to shut up. And I'll pass my time. Okay. Here it is. Okay. I have no magic dust. You see, here's what I'm thinking after following this revival. Some people are thinking, oh God, do I have to wait till the next revival? To get the blessing I got in this revival. Will pastor have a revival uh, six months from now or a year from now? In the in-between, what am I going to do? God, in the in-between, the time I, I reach the 1-800 prayer tower, what am I going to do? In the in-between from Sunday to Sunday or Wednesday to Sunday when I go to church, what I, let, let me tell you something. I respect prayer towers. I respect revivals. I respect preachers. But God's always available. You don't have to wait till we schedule another service with, with, with evangelists and preachers and teachers. Or you send your seed money to some ministry someplace when it really belongs in the house of God. You don't have to wait for that. God's right now, right here. And, and if you want me to, I'll finish this summer next week. But right now, I don't know in between. We could all go to heaven and you might as well just get your, your life ready to go. I wonder if I got anybody here in this house. And I'm pretty sure I do because the Holy Spirit won't send His word without confirming it. You are in the in-between. The marriage, the money, the job, the health, the children, the in-between. You are in the in-between of decisions. You love God. You're trying to serve God. But the more you pray, things have gotten worse. And the more you pray, the, the silent God becomes. 
And you haven't figured out what God's trying to do in all this, but you're willing to be like Joseph and just stay at it. If that's you, hurry, hurry, hurry in Jesus' name. Come to this altar. Come on in Jesus' name. Others of you, encourage them. Encourage them. Put their hands together and encourage them. Sing that, Valerie. Come on, keep coming. Keep coming. I'm not going to keep you long, but I'm going to keep you long enough to pray over you. Oh, nothing. I don't know if you know this song, but if you do, sing it. It's an old song. You'll know it. Raise your hands with me. Thank you. Miracles and wonders. Hallelujah. There is nothing. No nothing. You to sing it again, all the way from the top. Sing your faith, and then we'll pray. No nothing. There is nothing. Look at me, everybody. Hold your hands before you like this. Can you? As if you're getting ready to get something in it. Would you do that symbolically? I won't make a fool of you. And God won't. But sometimes you've got to step out of your comfort zone. And get ready. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes you think you hear preachers like me preaching. The others who came before and Pastor Jeff and others. You think they must have a special connection with God. He'll bless them more than he'll bless me. Just because I'm clergy and Pastor Jeff and others on staff, God, God don't just give us more and love us more. No way. <laughs> we are nothing without His anointing. But you, you too, you can receive in these hands, your hands. I want you in Jesus' name to repeat the prayer after me. Close your eyes. I want you to repeat the prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving me hope in the in-between. I acknowledge God. That sometimes living in the in-between can be painful. I acknowledge that sometimes when I pray, things appear worse than better. God, when I'd like to hear you, sometimes I can't. And I don't always know your plan. But today, I release you to be God of my life. I say, God, you don't owe me an explanation. I receive your unconditional love today, right now. And Lord, you helping me, I will stay faithful. I'll keep praying. I'll keep loving. I'll keep forgiving. I'll keep worshiping and giving. Lord, I know. I can count on you. Now I'm telling you, you can count on me. Lord Jesus, I'm not in this for feeling good only. I'm in it till the race is run. 
and the crown is received. So today, I'm in the in-between, but you are with me and I'll never fall. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Amen and amen. Put your hands together. Put your hands together. You've been praying. Oh, blessed Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I'll close in just a moment. David said, the psalmist David, as his life got to the end, you know he lived in the in-between. Am I not right? You know he lived in all kinds of experiences. When he got the Ziklag and all his family was gone, his possession, and his own friends wanted to kill him, I think that he was awfully lonely and things got worse. Then he went through other afflictions. David said in Psalm 1971, It is good that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. You see, God don't need help in learning what my needs are or my frailties are. God don't need any help in learning about me. What I need help in and you need help in is how good God is and how many statutes and blessings and favor He has for us. When you walk out of here, you walk on the devil's head. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lift your hands with me now and give him some thanks out of your mouth. Go ahead. Go ahead. Raise your hands and thank him. God, I'm leaving here in the in-between. I may go find somebody in the in-between. But I'm not quitting. I'm not. Go ahead. I praise you, Lord. God, I praise you that my husband, those of you wives that are praying, praise him like if he's done it. Praise him like if he's already done it. I praise you. I'm getting the job. My husband's going to get saved. My wife's going to get saved for you husbands. My parents are going to get saved. My children. I praise you, God. I praise you that my body's going to be well. I praise you that the, the decision is going to come through, oh God. I praise you, God, that it's not up to me, oh God, to make it happen. It's up to me to be faithful. I thank you that you are the God of the in-between. I love you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go your way. God bless you as you go. Have a great day.